The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome in to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. For the next hour, we will be discussing how you work toward financial independence. That's what they specialize in at Aptus. They're located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750. It's not far from 23 and 270, and they offer you a free consultation if you'd like to go in and get to know them, have them get to know you, discuss your investment strategies and put your cards on the table. We're in a very volatile market now. There are a lot of headlines out there that can be scary, and then there are a lot of mistakes that can be made. You'll gain peace of mind by understanding the variable the variable uh, things that are going on and discuss with Josh and his team where your money might be uh, best put to use in terms of investing for retirement. So, Josh, welcome in. We have talked uh, at length over the last year about the Federal Reserve, about the Federal Reserve raising rates and the uh, upshot of those rates. Uh, the Fed, for the first time in, I think it was 10 meetings, decided not to raise rates, but they said, we're going to raise them two more times <laughs> coming up. So how have the markets reacted to that? And um, do you think that, you know, this will be something that uh, really bothers investors going forward, knowing that there are impending rate heights coming still? Well, you know, there's going to be a lot of pontification and hypothesizing over what this actually means. So I guess we should hop on board too, right? And we should talk about what we think. Yeah. Um, nobody really knows, but we could draw the conclusion that the Fed believes that uh, rate hikes today could have a significantly negative impact on the economy, not just Wall Street, but Main Street, as we, we know that, you know, inflation has been a significant problem. Real mm-hmm. wages aren't keeping up and all those types of things. Uh, it could be that they believe that a rate hike will damage uh, the overall stock market return, cause a downturn, cause more layoffs, which we're already starting to see. Or it could just mean, uh, you know, inflation's heading in the right direction. We're pushing the pause button for a second because it takes a while for these Fed rate hikes to to really get through the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they're still seeing positive uh, news. And we're just going to hold off for a second, but there's a good chance in order to get to our target level, which they still have set down in the twos, uh, we're going to have to do some more rate hikes to get down there. I think everybody that's listening to the show, though, and us included, uh, would believe that if the Fed could get inflation down in the threes, they would probably squelch the rate hikes. Yeah, I, I know that typically the target has been 2%. That's what Jerome Powell keeps saying, 2% year over year. They're at double that right now at two at 4.4. Uh, he says they expect to get it down to 32 which until it went all the way up to 9.1, 3.2 would have been, I don't know if a five-alarm fire, but a four-alarm fire. So I have wondered all along if they were going to kind of massage their view of what acceptable is because, you know, I don't go to the grocery store a lot, but when I go, I'm astounded at what things cost, just a bag of potato chips or what, you know, hamburger is per pound or something like that. And I guess I can't envision, I, I sort of, 
I think I have a an erroneous view that if inflation returns to two percent, prices will go back down to where they were. No, they've risen to this level, and even if they get inflation under control, prices are going to stay where they are. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's interesting when we're talking about housing or any of these types of things, we go, well, we can just get inflation back to two. We'll be back to the mm-hmm. levels that we were before. That just means that moving forward from the number we're already at, it will climb at two or three yeah. percent. So, you know, the toothpaste is out of the tube. If you think that, you know, I'm going to hold on because the price of you know chicken is going to go down. <laughs> You know, and, and first, let me just give a disclaimer to that. There will be some pockets, and maybe housing is one of those. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. There will be some pullbacks in certain categories, but systemically, overall, we are where we are, and we're not going backwards. We're just trying to slow the bleed moving forward. Yeah, and that reminds me kind of a topic we talked about Monday on Money Monday on 98.9 The Answer, and that is this, you know, if you don't really think this through, this math equation where if the market goes down 20%, and you had $10,000 in the market, and then the market goes back up 20% a year later, there would be a tendency to think, okay, I'm back to even. You're not back to even. You're down, and in fact, you're down significantly. Like in the example we used Monday, it was like 1000 bucks. Yeah, and here's another one that I think really resonates with people. Let's assume that the market pulled back by 50%. You would have to get a 20% rate of return for the subsequent four years in a row mm. to get back to even. Because if if you have a dollar in your pocket and you lose half of it, you got to double it to get back to even, yeah. right? So 80% compounded over four years is roughly 100%. So, I mean, there's some challenges, but I think this really points towards the value of not just what is my overall rate of return in the long run, but depending upon the use for my money, controlling volatility can be equally as important. Now, if you're 20 years old, volatility really doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right? You just close your eyes open them up 40 years later, and who cares what happened in the middle as long as I've averaged a really good rate of return. And that's essentially indexed investing or you know buying and hold strategies. Mm-hmm. But once you start getting closer and closer to that five and one yard line of, I'm going to need to use my money for its intended purpose, which you saved all this money, so at some point you could actually turn it into an income. When you get closer and closer to that, that volatility can be incredibly damaging. You have to limit the downside as much as you have to try and achieve the upside. Yeah, I'm thinking this through, like if uh, that example you just point out, you're somebody in your 20s, uh, you can kind of afford to ride out the bumpy ride. Like you get on an air, airplane, you're flying to L.A., you hit some turbulence, okay, you're still going to arrive in L.A. if you can ignore the turbulence. The better you can ignore the turbulence, the better. But if you're on that plane and you're holding a glass of water, which would be the analogy would be somebody who's 62 years old, retirement coming in three years, the turbulence affects you differently if you're trying to keep that water from spilling. So we're in a market now, or not a market, but we're in an environment now where one thing we've talked about a lot here on the uh, Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show is this inverted yield curve. The longer you commit your money to something, a CD, uh, whatever, typically the better return you have gotten. That's not where we are right now. We're in an inverted yield curve where the shorter you have allowed someone to have your money, the better return you're getting. And people are like, oh, that's great. No, that's not great. That's a bad sign in the economy. So if somebody's in a position right now where they want to put their money into something for a long term, where do they put it? 
Do you get this question a lot? And if so, how do you answer it? Yeah, all the time, because it's a pretty easy answer if you said, hey, I, I, this is my emergency fund. I yeah. might need the money tomorrow. Okay, put it in a savings account. And if you're not earning 4% in a savings account, please call our office and I'll tell you how. You should be earning at least 4% in your savings account. But what if I'm not really emotionally capable of investing in the market, or maybe it's just not the right choice for me for a myriad of reasons, but I also know that 4% isn't even keeping up with inflation's over that 4.4 right now. And right. that's, and they're bragging about that being 4.4 as low. So good news. Uh, I can move it to something where I lose my purchasing power guaranteed every single day. <laughs> uh, that's not a good plan. No. So the question becomes, well, if I can get a, a six month CD at 5% and I can get a 10 year CD at 4%, why the heck would I go 10? Well, I don't think you should, but there are other avenues where you can get a higher rate of return. And I had this conversation with a client the other day. They said, I, I'm not comfortable. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with rates. And I said, well, what do you think is going to happen? And so I think the Fed's going to raise them a couple more times. And then probably in the next, like they did back in the 70s and 80s, they're going to overshoot the runway. And mm -hmm. then they're going to have to pull them back because they're going to start hurting the economy, which is exactly what happened in the 80s. So, you know, I'm willing to lock up the money for a year or two, but I kind of want to wait and see because I think in a couple of years, rates are going to go down. Well, how much do you think they're going to go down? Maybe it makes sense. Maybe. And in his scenario, it did. Maybe if you don't need this money for five years, maybe we should lock in for five years. And in his case, we locked in at over 5% for five years. Well, now, you know, no matter what happens with rates, you're locked in for five years. Yeah. Now that might sound crazy, but let me give you a scenario that I encountered when I was first in the business. Okay. So it's 2000, 2001, somewhere around in there. And I had a, a woman come to my office who was, you know, in her 80s, and she had bought a U.S. Treasury back in the 80s. Think of a 20, 30-year Treasury back in the 80s, right? Okay. So she was earning in the teens. Now, she had 300000 bucks. So she's living on the interest, and she's drawing off about 40000 bucks in interest off of three hundred grand. Now, fast forward, that came due. And she goes, okay, well, what can I get now? Well, I mean, at the time, 5 or 6%. Well, okay, so your income just went from 40 to 15 to 18. Wow. That's a big problem. Yeah, that's a big problem. Now, we can look at this two ways. One, how amazing was it that she lived off of 40000 bucks, off of 300000 bucks for the better part of multiple decades? Yeah, right? good for her. So what this really points to is I think we all want a silver bullet, but that clearly wasn't the silver bullet for her. It ended up putting her in a terrible position in her 80s. What do we really need to do? We need to have a combination of a lot of things because what would have happened if she would have had, let's say she, instead of living on 40, which is exorbitant, we all know that a 13%, 14% withdrawal rates, lunacy, you shouldn't be doing that. Maybe out of the four, the $300,000, we should have put $200,000 in that, lived off of 25, 30 grand a year, put $100,000 into even an index fund, the, the market of some kind. She would have, by the time it came back around 20 years later, just her dividend income would have been darn near what she was receiving off of the interest income. So I think, you know, oftentimes we want to point to what is the perfect thing for me that gives me the most guaranteed income forever? That really doesn't exist. You have to figure out a way to have that multiple legs on the stool to make sure that you're protected in the long run. But the short answer is, I think what you should be doing with fixed rates right now is laddering them. You should have some short-term money. You should have some longer-term fixed money 
if you don't need the money for a while, even though it may sound counterintuitive to take a lower potential rate, at least you know what the rate is. And predictability can be very, very valuable when you're talking about retirement. Yeah, particularly in this uh, era where we're dealing with volatility and a lot of unknowns. I mean, you can find headlines that will paint a rosy picture of the future. You can find headlines that will paint a very dim view of the future. And one of the things that my wife and I uh, discussed with Josh and his team when we went in for our consultation and became clients was asset allocation and having some money maybe in a more aggressive approach, some money in a more conservative approach, some money in between. That's a big part of investing is asset allocation, and they can have that conversation with you without obligation during your consultation at Aptus Wealth Management. Located in Lewis Center and easy to reach, their phone number is 614-917-1040. You can set up your appointment for that free consultation by going to their website, which is aptuswealth.com. Aptus is spelled A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Okay, so the market reacted pretty favorably to the Fed's not raising rates. Uh, the market is up so far this year, um, but I wonder, is it up across the board, or sticks in my mind that on a show here, maybe in the last six months or so, we discussed a recent period where most of the gains in the market were tied up in the tech stocks like Google and Facebook, which is now Meta and things like that. Are we in a situation where across the board everybody's doing well, or are we in a situation where you not you are not guaranteed a good across-the-board return in the S&P 500, you have to be really fortunate to have the right investments within the S&P 500. Yeah, I mean, the short answer is um, there is a handful of stocks currently that is generating the lion's share, if not all of the return. And while that's not entirely uncommon, it usually is not good. So let me give you some examples. First, if you don't know, the S&P 500 is widely regarded the market. We Mm -hmm. call it the market. It's essentially... And I'm oversimplifying, but essentially the 500 biggest companies in the United States. But what ends up happening inside of that uh, that index is certain companies will become bigger. And as they become bigger, they get a more representative weighting. So let's just assume that all of them together are worth, and this is a drastic undershooting the runway here, but let's say they're all worth a trillion. And let's say I have a company that's worth uh, you know, a tenth of a trillion dollars, and now it's worth a 20th, you know, uh, double that. Mm-hmm. Well, the weighting inside of it, how much is represented in the S&P just doubled. So a couple things have happened so far year to date. One, the top 10 companies in the S&P 500 from the beginning of the year until today have gone from representing 25%, which think about that. There's 500 stocks, 10 of them. 10 of them was a quarter of the S&P 500? A quarter of the total. Wow. Now they're over 31%. So they've drastically outgrown the rest. So the S&P 500, as we look at it today, is up, you know, in the high teens year to date. If you look at those top 10 through, I only have numbers through uh, June 9th, but if you look at those top 10 through June 9th, those top 10 are up 43 plus percent overall. So think like of twice, a com- twice what the whole market is. A hundred percent. Yeah. Now let's look at some of these companies. NVIDIA is up 165 percent year to date. Meta up 98%, or I'm sorry, 120%. Tesla up 98%. So what's the rest of the S&P doing? Well, the other 490 stocks are flat. They've earned nothing. So the entire return of the S&P 500 is completely hinged, for all intents and purposes, on the top 10. Now, you'd say, well, there's other stocks that are up. 
Yeah, but the other 490, for everyone that's up, there's another one that's down that right. offsets it. So what does that tell us? Well, some people would start saying words like bubble. Mm-hmm. Now, what that if that's true or not, we don't know. But I'll give you a different time frame where this happened before. So in 1998, the top 10 stocks represented about the same as what we're talking about. But then fast forward to 1999. In 1999, six stocks generated essentially 100% of the return of the S&P 500. Those happen to be tech stocks, which what happened after that? The well, tech, we, we'd have a tech bubble, right? The dot-com bubble, okay. right? So that the stocks collapse. Now, the unfortunate part about that is we had three years following that to get back to even. So you were in the tranches for three years. If you just hung in there, stuck it out, you were in the tranches for three years. But for those companies that got the lion's share of the return, it took much, much, much longer for that to occur. Now, what ended up doing well during that time period following the dot-com bubble? Value stocks. Think of the boring, stodgy dividend stocks that aren't nearly as exciting. I mean, what's more exciting, investing in NVIDIA and earning 165% in six months or buying a company like Costco and Coca-Cola, right? Those aren't – they don't have that – that romantic, you know, sexiness to right. them, right? Right. But what did they end up doing? They posted almost double-digit returns every single year following that. Matter of fact, dividend stocks were up significantly. And if you think back, if you want to, you know, kind of point to the, the head figure of who did this, that's really when Warren Buffett started coming into prominence was during the dot-com bubble. They go, how did this guy, this old man, how's he, he avoided all of it and he's making tons of money? Well, because at his core, he's a value investor. And he didn't understand technology. He admitted that many times. I'm not picking on him. Mm -hmm. He said, I don't get it, so I'm not doing it. So maybe it was happenstance. Maybe it was just the fact that he analyzes what he buys versus just riding the what's in vogue wave. But the reason I bring all of this up is sometimes proper asset allocation, sometimes proper uh, risk management doesn't look as good as the market overall. And that can become a very difficult thing for clients. If you look at it, you go, man, the market's up X percent. I'm only up, you know, half that. Sometimes the reality of the matter takes some time to come into play. If you would have been invested all in value stocks from 1995 until 1999, you would have looked like an idiot until you looked like you were a genius. Now, I'm not suggesting that you just go in value stocks for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. But what I am suggesting is... What people will ultimately end up doing, and you can you know, put this on the record, mark my words, people will start looking at companies like NVIDIA, Amazon, Apple, uh, Google, Tesla, and they'll go, oh, man, if I can just put my money in these stocks. I'll be set. I'll be set. Yeah. And in reality, they're tap dancing on a minefield. You better have other stuff, and you better have cross correlations, you know, reverse correlations of stuff to make sure that you're you control volatility because again, I don't care if you earn a hundred percent this year, it's how consistent can you earn over the right. next 20 years of retirement that matter most. No doubt. Josh and the Aptus team are ready to have these kinds of conversations with you. Find out what your investing philosophy is. Ask you questions. You'll ask them questions. It's all part of the free consultation. No obligation. Set it up by calling their office 614-917-1040 aptuswealth.com is their website. A-P-T-U-S aptuswealth.com. They're located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750. And if you're out of the area, you say, wow, I like what uh, Josh has to say. 
like to have a consultation and maybe become a client, you don't have to live in Central Ohio to become a client. They do service a lot of their clients remotely. So it sounds to me like in terms of arriving at retirement, financial independence, whatever, when you transition out of full-time work and your nest egg has grown and enables you to um, sort of dictate life on your own terms, it almost seems to me like there are two approaches to this. A lot of people can say, I want to go hunt that stock that's going to just explode and that's how I'll arrive there. But what it seems to me from your previous comments is more important is uh, bulletproofing or at least mitigating your exposure to the really big downside. And when you think about an S&P 500 of 500 stocks and 10 of them have all the gains and 490 of them are flat, um, I don't like my odds there picking the 10 that are absolutely right. So that would, to me, underscore the importance of mitigating my risk as opposed to being uber um, ambitious and hoping that I'm uh, clairvoyant enough to pick the winner. You know, I spoke to a, a group of students recently, finance students at the college level, and they were asking me questions and they said, you know, what do you think is the most overrated thing in finance that people talk about all the time? And my answer sh was probably pretty shocking. It was net worth. Somewhere along the last 20 years, net worth has become a measure of success. And in reality, it is not a measure of success for a myriad of reasons. I mean, we could talk about, you know, whether it's for religious reasons or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, happiness and yeah. go through all that stuff. But I'm not talking about any of those altruistic reasons. I'm talking about actually day-to-day -day life. What did you save this money for? Is it so that you could show up and go, look at my statement, I'm worth a million dollars? Or was it when I no longer can or want to work, this asset that I'm holding or these assets, plural, will provide me the income that I need? And I'm going to ask you a very obvious question. If one year you make 100% off of a stock and then the next year you're down 50 and then the following year you're up 60 and then the following year you're down and ultimately if you leave it alone 10 years from now you go, man, I averaged 20%. Has that provided you the income stream to no longer work? You have no idea. Yeah, no, I don't. You're rolling the dice. You have no clue. So if you've, now you can do that while you're building your nest egg, mm -hmm. but when you reach a point of retirement, that cannot be your strategy at all. You better figure out a way, whether it's through dividend-paying stocks, fixed annuities, real estate, the list goes on and on. You better figure out a way to turn this pool of assets that you have into a predictable income stream that allows you to enjoy your life, not just walk around with a statement going, you're never going to believe how much I'm worth. Who cares? If you get somebody who is uh, benefiting from an up market and things are rolling, and we've had a long period of that, uh, is it hard when they get to retirement to get them to depart from the strategy that they've uh, employed to rack up pretty significant market gains? Or do they see the wisdom in now we're kind of in, if you think of it in football terms, max protect mode? You know, everybody's different, of course. And some people are, you know, eternal gamblers. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, you can't, uh, this next win, I'm going to leave the table, right? And there's a whole <laughs> pile of people who've lost all their money doing that. Some people recognize that, you know, I've been aggressive my entire life and I understand that I'm turning into a different season of my life. I'm transitioning into these turning into income generating assets versus growth assets. Um, so those people are pretty easy. Again, everybody's completely different. Sometimes it's a matter of trying to convince people that I know you think you need to go more conservative, but that does not mean that we just cash everything out and put it in the CD at the bank and live off the interest. There's a combination of things here. Uh, but 
you know, again, I, I wish I could answer that very clear cut. Some people just aren't a good fit for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're going to be a gambler with your retirement income, we are not a good fit for you. Uh, and, and that's just unfortunate because we could certainly help you, but we can't be a good fit to everybody. So part of this process of us getting together initially for 10 or 15 minutes on the phone before we even start the blueprint process is to just see, are we aligned? Is this mm-hmm. even a good fit? Because I don't want to do you a disservice by mm-hmm. saying we're going to do something we're not. We're not going to pick. We are not in the business of trying to find the next NVIDIA that's going yeah. to go up a thousand percent. No, but I'll tell you this, from my own personal experience and my wife's as well, when we sat with Josh and the Aptus team and uh, just we just connected. I mean, we connected. Everything they said made sense. Uh, they listened to us. We learned a lot. Most importantly for us, we gained peace of mind. There are many different investment vehicles out there. What you really want is somebody who is legally obligated to do what's best for you. That person is called a fiduciary. That is what they are at Aptus. You can set up your free no-obligation consultation, 614-917-1040, or online at AptusWealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. You are listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management, and they offer you a free consultation at Aptus if you have questions about retirement investing, arriving at financial independence later on in life, lots of ways to view it, but it's very important that you have a fiduciary, somebody who is legally obligated to look out for your best financial interests on the case of growing your money, because very few of us can just save what we make, not grow it at all, and be ready for those challenges that come on later in life, whether it's long-term health care, whether it's the kind of home you want to live in or the vacations you want to take, or just enjoying life paying your bills. 614-917-1040 to set up your free consultation with Josh and the Aptus team. You can also set up your appointment online. Their website is Aptus Wealth Management, A-P-T-U-S, Aptus Wealth Management. Their physical offices are in Lewis Center, Ohio, which is not far from the 27023 interchange, and they are located right off Route 750, which is about, I guess, maybe two miles, three miles north of 23 and 270. And Josh joins me every Monday at 12.30 p.m. for Money Monday on The Bruce Hooley Show, uh, 12.30 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer. And when I saw this headline preparing for the show, Josh, I thought of you. It's a survey from bankrate.com. I don't know anything about Bankrate, but they do a lot of these kinds of surveys. And the headline caught my eye. Survey says, not Family Feud, but it says 68% have made a financial sacrifice to help their adult children with money. 68% of people with baby, no, these are baby boomers who are supporting their Gen Z and young millennial children. And the story goes on about kids thinking they shouldn't have to pay any bills until they're 22 or 23 years old and they have student debt and this, that, and the other. And I thought, well, if anybody could tell me whether this is true or not, you deal with a lot of retirees. Does that headline have an element of truth to it? Or do you hear that and go, well, not the people I deal with? Uh, I see it all the time. I I can't verify that it's 68% or whatever that percentage was, but it's very, very significant. And, you know, I think on the surface, you can draw a lot of conclusions as to why that might actually be logical. uh, But I think there's some pitfalls there too. For example, if you're a parent and you have an adult child and, and, let's say that that person's 30 years old and they're starting a family. And here we are in this economy where, you know, you got to make a heck of a lot more money, even in inflation related dollars today than you had to do before because of 
you know, the cost of housing and the cost of food and all the things that we've talked about on the show so many times. Uh, and then you look at, you know, you need a dual income to even support the family, but that dual income now requires that you send your children to a daycare, which uh, as somebody who has three kids, I, I'm very, mm-hmm. uh, very aware of how much that costs. Uh, you know, you might be saying, we've had a great life and we're in a fortunate position where we can help out. And why would we want our kids to struggle? So we're going to help them out. Just get over this hurdle. We just need to get over this hurdle. Hey, they racked up this credit card debt. As soon as I pay off this credit card for them, then they're going to be smooth sailing. Now, the unfortunate reality of that and what I've seen is that's very rarely true. Mm. Unfortunately, when bad behavior, and I'm speaking of credit racking up a credit card debt Mm -hmm. or something like that, when bad behavior is exonerated by bailing somebody out, a lesson is not learned. And you might say, well, who cares? I got plenty of money. What am I going to do? Leave it to him when I'm dead? I'd rather see him enjoy it. Fair enough. But if if you have two children or your child and their spouse and their kids are living on $75,000 a year and you are supplementing that and now they're living on $100,000, is only one thing worse than struggling. And that's struggling, living the easy life, and then struggling again. Mm. So if for the next 20 years of your life, you let them live far beyond their means, and then you die, well, now you can't help them at all, and they're in a position where they might even have outkicked their ability to live. I have several clients who, without the parents, would not be able to afford the house they're living in. Mm. So what would happen if that parent died? They just got to move because they're living beyond their means. Interesting. Um, I Let's define the terms here. Millennials are people born 1981 to 96, so people 27 to 42 years of age. Gen Z, born 1997 to 2012. So those are a lot of Gen Z is just barely now getting out into the workforce. And it almost strikes me that when you're having these conversations with people who have retired and they're now putting some of the bills or providing maybe a lifestyle in excess of what their children can afford on their own, there's a blurred line there between financial advice and life advice. And I would imagine that's a hard line to trod because you're a retirement specialist and, you know, you're dealing with an emotional issue. But when people are, are, are financing their children, which is certainly their right to do, they are impacting their ability to save for retirement because some of that money could be devoted to uh, their own resources and growing their own resources. Yeah. And, and clearly, I'm not going to tell somebody how to spend their own money. Right. But what I can do. And what I oftentimes see is people are spending more money than they can afford on their children who oftentimes are living on more than they are. I'll give you an example. I have uh, in the past, I had a couple of clients, husband's an attorney, wife is a doctor. They make several hundred thousand dollars a year. They live in a beautiful, very expensive home. And mom is living on like $30,000 a year in the home she's lived in for the last 65 years. And she pays for vacations and pays for the the grandkids' cell phone bills and all this stuff. And she's living like a hermit. Mm. And if she continues, you know, I had a conversation with her one night and I said, you know, if if you don't die when you think you're going to die, we're going to hit a wall. You're going to run out of money. And it's because you're funding the cell phone bills for your grandkids. What's more important, your food yeah. when you're 85 years old or the fact that your 12-year-old has a cell phone? It doesn't make any sense. Um, I run into people who are in their 60s that still have student loan debt from their kids. 
their kids have been out of college for 20 years. Wow. But it's because they took on debt that they couldn't afford and they had to sign up for a payment plan that took them 20 or 30 years because their kids decided to go get a degree that cost $200,000 and they couldn't afford it. So their parents took on $100,000 worth of student loan debt. Now, I would suggest that if you take on that much student loan debt, it's because you were following an occupation that might have paid you well. Well, maybe bail your parents out at some point because Mm -hmm. you're drowning them. Yeah. Now, again, I'm not trying to, again, I have three kids. I want to help out my kids as much as I can. I understand the heartstrings. I understand all of that. And it's certainly a delicate balancing act. But if I can show you that it's going to run you aground, maybe you want to pull back a little bit on the, we need to take everybody to Disney for $25,000 if you're not going to have enough money to pay your car payment in 10 years. Yeah, so much of investing and successful investing and uh, arriving at a place where you can help uh, the people you love and you can provide the kind of life that uh, you want or meet the bills that come along that are either expected or unexpected. And we've talked before about the uh, the growing reality of long-term health care costs coming. So much of all of that is discipline, having a plan, working a plan, and that's what they help you with at Aptus when you sit down for that free consultation is you put the wheels in motion to start coming up with a plan that you'll understand that you can work and that will deliver results for you. You can set up that consultation by calling them at 614-917-1040. You can also make your appointment online on their website, Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Generally, uh, are there... uh, Things you've discovered over the years when you're talking to clients, potential clients, that are able to ingrain the kind of discipline and the kind of uh, regimen that they need to get away from bad habits before they experience some kind of a catastrophic outcome or before they get a big scare? Because generally, uh, humans are people that... (laughs) We might know what we should do, but oftentimes we don't do it until we're forced to do it. How about setting those, how about getting people off a a bad course and getting them onto a good course? You do a lot of research, you show people a lot of numbers, you have different tracks and uh, arcs that you can show them how their money can grow if they make this decision or that decision. Does that resonate with clients? Uh, it can, but I think you also have to have, and, and this is the real big argument between you know working with an advisor, I think, to some degree, and working just with, I'm going to open up an account directly with mm-hmm. an online system. Everybody's different, and you have to get to know the people that you're working with and cater that plan or that, that move, that gradual shift for them. And for some people, uh, myself, for example, um, I'm a pretty disciplined guy. If you tell me what to do and you tell me the outcome, I'm just going to do it. Mm-hmm. That's just who I am. Other people... Uh, you tell me what to do, you tell me how to do it, and I'll say, I'll get to it, and then you'll never get to it. Or, uh, you know, it's like there's a reason why gyms are in business, and it's because not because of the people who are actually there. It's because of the other 70% of the people that are paying the bill that don't ever go. Mm-hmm. But they signed up on January 1, and they were also going to eat perfect, and that's just not reality. So what we try and do is show the path, but don't show it in a way that is overwhelming and a drastic change. If somebody's used to living on $5,000 a month and you know they need to save $1,000 a month or there's no way they're going to get to their goals and you say, okay, we're just going to shift this up. You're going to, you're going to start saving 1000 bucks a month. They'll do it for two months and then they'll turn it off and never turn it back on again. Hmm. So how do we take it from you're currently saving 100 
Let's gradually tick that up. Well, there's a few ways. Uh, Way number one would be automatically add increases maybe every six months. So we're going to go from 100 to 200, and then it's going to go to 220, 230, 240, and it just keeps on Mm -hmm. ratcheting up. The other would be, and this is the easiest way I would suggest for people to save more and more money. Anytime you get a raise, save half of it, spend half of it. Don't save all of it. Because if you save all of it, you'll go, well, what the heck am I working so hard for? Every raise I get, I don't get to actually enjoy any of it. And then you'll start drawing those, you know, they don't put luggage racks on Hertz's. Why am I saving all my money, Mm -hmm. right? You'll start having Mm -hmm. that internal dialogue and go, I'm not going to save any of it. I'll save the next one. Just save half of it. Or if you get a 4% raise, increase your contribution to your 401k by 2% and spend the rest and have fun with it. Go buy something fun. Make sure you get rewarded for that. But also save. And, and when I say save, I think we probably need to change that a little bit too. Don't save, invest. Invest, yeah. There's a difference between saving and investing. And saving, nobody has ever gotten rich by saving money. You cannot get rich with a 0.0% rate of return by putting the money under the mattress. You have to invest in something. Yeah, no doubt. We've talked before about the power of compound interest. And all this can be easily illustrated to you when you go in for your free consultation at Aptus. Again, they're located in Lewis Center just off Route 750, not far from 23 and 270, and their office number is 614-917-1040. When I think about uh, the different asset allocations that you have, I'm sure one of the the prime misconceptions you may uh, battle when people come in is, do they anticipate that you have uh, one particular favorite investment vehicle? Oh, are you an annuity guy, or are you a stock market guy, or are you a bond guy, or whatever? Because I know that you have all those vehicles open to you, and that's part of being a fiduciary is to do what's uh, legally what you know what's legally best for your clients. Uh, so, is that one of the common misperceptions that people have when they come in? I want to know what your vehicle is, and what are you going to try to get me to buy? Yeah, I mean, and and they've been conditioned to think that way, so I don't fault anybody for thinking that way. I mean, you can go to if you wanted to, if you were sixty years old right now, you can probably eat for free somewhere in Columbus at some seminar. A couple times a week, mm-hmm. right? And what usually happens at those seminars, and I'm not picking on anybody, there's some great seminars out there, and I suggest, you know, go expand your knowledge, go to all of them if you want to. But you will find that there is a, it's seemingly a certain category where everybody's trying to pitch a certain widget, whatever mm-hmm. that is, whether it's an annuity, and it's very obvious if you're in the business when you go within the first 10 minutes, you go, I know where this is going. Mm-hmm. When in reality, there's benefits and and downsides to all of those things. And I think we've also been conditioned where uh, if you go to, and I'm not picking on Vanguard, but if you go to a Vanguard or you go to your 401k for that example, for, for instance, you know, they ask you seven questions and that apparently defines you and how you should invest. How old are you and when do you want to retire? Well, this is where you should be. When in reality, that doesn't take into account a lot of things. Like, for example, a good question would be if, uh, if you lost 50% of your money this year, what would you do? That's a question that they ask or you're asking me? Well, you need to ask that oh, question. Now, yeah. what they'll usually do is say, with all of these questionnaires, they'll say, would you rather have a 10% rate of return with a potential loss of 20, blah, blah, blah. Right, and they'll right, give you right. four choices. Right. And usually three choices. And I, I'm going to tell you definitively that if I gave you the, those three choices, you, like everybody else on the planet, will pick the one in the middle. Everybody picks the one in the middle. I don't want to be too conservative. I don't okay. want to be too aggressive. Yeah, 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 I want to be yeah, in the yeah. middle. Sure. That doesn't mean it's the right choice for you. 
The reality is you got to dive deeper into the questions and give trajectories and say, in real life, this is what this would look like. And sometimes we lie to ourselves. Somebody will say, ah, I put the blinders on. I never look at this stuff. And then you look at their statement and you look at their trading activity and go, this is totally untrue. Every time the market goes down, you, I hate to be the bearer of bad news for you, but, or somebody says, ah, oh, I'm very conservative. And you look at their account and they have 12 stocks that are, that's it. They yeah. have 12 stocks. That's not conservative. No. So I think, you know, it's very important to give people an education lesson, let them know what it is you do, dispel a lot of myths, talk through the pros and cons of everything, and also let them know that you're not disproportionately compensated for anything that we're talking about. So I'm not going to try and pitch you an annuity because I make a whole bunch of money. I'm not going to try and pitch you my favorite portfolio because I make more money on that. Mm -hmm. I make the same amount of money, whatever we do. I'm trying to cater what is best for you and what you're actually going to be comfortable with in the long run. So when we do these projections, they actually come true. Because I can show you all the projections in the world, and if you don't stick to it, it's no different than me saying, if you eat this way and work out this way, you're going to lose this much weight, and then you just don't do it. Well, what's the point of even spending the time going through it? Sure. You know, and as I think of the people who are coming into Aptis, uh, big spectrum of age range could be at least i mean we'd love to have 20 year olds coming in you know or 22 year olds out of college get a good job discipline start a plan uh we better have people in their 50s and 60s who are bearing down on retirement and they're getting really serious about it so is it true that there's an investment type that will work for everyone depending where they are on that continuum to approach retirement or are we're in an environment right now where, as I've said before, you can find a headline that says, oh, recession coming, you know, watch out, sky is falling. Or, oh, we're on the verge of a real, you know, bull market. Uh, is it true that instead of at any point in time, an investment category will work for someone depending upon where they are in that continuum? Or is it that, no, no, because of market conditions, you need to be in one of these two, three or four types of investments at this point? Yeah, I think and Warren Buffett says this as well. Um, obviously, we quote him a lot, but he has a lot of great quotes. Well, he's a good reason to quote him. <laughs> no doubt. He says that if you don't know what you're doing, just buy an index fund. Keep on contributing to it. Rinse and repeat over and over again. Pick your head up in 40 years and you'll be happily rewarded. And to the most, and you know, I would go a little bit step further than that. I wouldn't put it all in the S&P 500, but there mm -hmm. are plenty of what we call life strategy funds or target date funds, which simply say that if you plan on retiring in 2050, you just buy the 2050 fund. And what that means is that it allocates it according to where that particular fund company believes you should be. And then it gradually changes it as you get closer and closer to that end zone, which means it gets a little bit more conservative as time goes on. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad strategy. Um, it's not the best strategy, but it's not a bad strategy. So if you're listening to this and you go, you know, I have a 401k and um, I don't really want to, you know, go in and meet with anybody or for whatever reason, um, and I don't really know what any of this stuff is, just look at your 401k. And if it has a fund that says the, you know, you're uh, 50 years old and you go and retire when I'm 65, that's 15 years from now, do the math and say, that's the mm -hmm. fund I'm going to invest in. Um, that's a pretty sound strategy, quite frankly. However, if you actually know what you're doing, what value does a money manager bring to the table? Well, if you do that other strategy that I talked about, when the market does well, you're going to do exactly what the market does. When the market does poorly, you're going to do exactly what that does. And you're not trying to beat the market. You're just trying to match the market and hopefully the market does well. 
Are you managing volatility? Are you managing um, who is the best fund in that category? So, for example, uh, and I use this name a lot, but Newberger Berman's got a tremendous value fund. Now, I'm not, I'm not sponsored by Newberger mm-hmm. Berman. I don't All get right. paid extra for Newberger Berman. I don't think Newberger Berman has the best funds in the world. They're a company out of Chicago, by the way. But when it look, when you look at large cap value mutual funds, that's a darn. I mean, they're top of the food chain in that category every year for decades. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if I went to the Newberger Berman and I said, I would like to have a lifestyle fund, this 2045 fund, they're going to use all Newberger Berman funds. Okay, so they have one really, really good fund and then others that are kind of mediocre. So what are you going to get as performance? You're going to get one fund that maybe be 20% of your portfolio do well and the other 80% will do average. Average, right? So what is the value in what we do? Well, we're still going to create that same type of strategy with an added element of also looking at economic conditions and leaning into risk and away from risk at times. But we're also going to pick the best investments amongst all of the investments that are out Mm -hmm. there. So you might have Newberger Berman and Vanguard and American funds and all, you know, Dodge and Cox and all these different fund companies that are the best in their respective category. Right. I mean, you don't go to uh, Honda to get the best diesel truck. They don't even have a diesel truck. right? Right. At least not in the residential space. So, you know, you might go to them because you want a really fuel-efficient sedan. Sure. They're, they're really good at reliable fuel-efficient sedans. But if you just said, I'm going to outfit my whole fleet amongst, uh, I'm going to need some backhoes and I'm going to need all that, you wouldn't go to Honda, <laughs> right? right? And I'm not picking on Honda, but that's kind of what you end up doing when you pick these lifestyle funds. It doesn't mean they're bad. I'm just saying you could do better. Yeah, and the thing that my wife and I learned when we went in with Josh and I, you know, look, I, I do a radio show every day and I read the internet. I do a lot of research. I think I'm as informed as, you know, maybe on the leading edge or uh, above the curve, maybe of being aware of things going on in financial markets. I got to tell you, when I went in, the option that Josh presented to us, which was a uh, an investment vehicle where we could get not all the gains of a market, not all the losses of a market, but somewhere in between, I didn't even know that was available. And you might be sitting there going, well, you're a dope. I knew that was available. Okay, great. Fantastic. I, I, I love, you know, people being informed. But, you know, I'm not ready to retire in the next two years, but I'm also not uh, able to withstand a big mistake that would hurt my retirement savings uh, and set me back 20 years. So for Sherry and I, peace of mind was really important. And I just think that, you know, if people are afraid of coming in, talking about this, that, the other, whatever, uh, I can just assure you that it's a, uh, it's, it's not scary. Uh, you do learn things, whether you become a client or not, uh, knowledge is power and you should go after as much as you can, because there are very few things in life that are as important as not wasting all the time that you've been working and, and working toward a situation in your life where you're able to pay the bills that might come at you. And one of the things that we've talked about is that uh, people, my, my parents' generation, they didn't, they didn't budget for long-term care. And long-term care is becoming a real necessity, reality for at least a husband or a wife, at least one of them. That's pretty common now. Uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, to speak to long-term care and what you just said, you said, I didn't know that this product was available. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell your whole financial situation, of course, but that was one of four different legs on the mm-hmm. stool that we did. So that's just one thing. Um, And I believe, if I recall correctly, that two of the four you had never even heard of before. Um, Well, similarly, when you look at long-term care, everybody's aware that it's expensive Mm -hmm. and everybody's aware that I can go buy insurance to cover it. 
and everybody's aware that that insurance is atrociously expensive and they probably won't be able to afford it and they don't even want it. Maybe they can't even qualify for it. But there are other options in the middle. And those options, the sooner that you start looking at them, the less costly and the more time you have to change where you're at to actually make that work. But most people don't even know what the options are. And most people are afraid to even ask about it because they assume it's going to cost a bunch of money. Uh, part of the beauty of the blueprint process is you get to kind of lift up the hood and learn a lot about the engine with essentially no obligation. We're, we're going to help you out. We're going to point you in a good direction. We don't know if it's going to be a good fit or not, but you will know more when you leave than you did when you got there. Yeah, imagine if you went to a restaurant and uh, they gave you a menu that had three items on it. And you pick one of the three, and the food was okay. And then you talk to a buddy who went to the same restaurant, and he said, oh, I had this. And you're like, well, what? They didn't even offer me that. Well, that's a little bit of what it's like if you're operating in your own sphere of knowledge and not going in and learning uh, from somebody like Josh, a fiduciary, legally obligated to do what's best for you, all the options that are out there. You don't have to pick them. You don't even have to become a client, but at least arm yourself with that knowledge. The free consultation available to you, no obligation. Set it up at Aptus, 614-917-1040. Make your appointment online, aptuswealth.com. Josh, thanks for your time. We'll see you again next week. You as well. Thanks. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program.